Well, there was a brother asking you to make a certain announcement, and but you didn't make it. Is that right? As uh, it was relayed to you. Is that right? Uh, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I'm unaware. Would you help us? What, what did I say? Well, uh, there was a, one of our dear brethren went to the chairman here and asked him to make the announcement that the BBF would pick up the tab at breakfast this morning. <laughs> and well, he, when he got up, he said, everybody's on his own and we'll all go Dutch. Well, that wasn't the way the message started out. <laughs> so now, if I can do the same thing as I repeat the question, if I can do like you did, yeah, why, re- I can answer it. Yourself. Okay. <laughs> well, it is a real blessing to be here and we have enjoyed up to this point the uh, conference the messages have been stimulating and informative edifying and all of this whether we agree or not we have gathered some food for thought and we appreciate even those comments and expositions that differ from our own uh, from our own uh, concepts and ideas I'd like, first of all, to begin with, we're, we're, we're going already on the, uh, the uh, okay. Uh, we'd like to turn to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 14 just for a brief scripture reading and comment. You know the setting here. Our Lord was asked to a feast by a Pharisee and uh, in the process of dinner or soon thereafter he cured a man with dropsy and it brought... Uh, controversy uh, at the table and our Lord gave a parable in order to uh, illuminate and to enlarge up on uh, the uh, contentious controversy that had been injected into the course of the conversation and uh, so I'd like to read beginning at verse 28 of chapter Luke chapter 14 and we read a few verses here for which of you, intending to build a tower, setteth not down first, and counteth the cost of whether he has sufficient to finish it? Lest uh, happily, after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it began to mock him, saying that this man began to build and was not able to finish. Then he gives a companion parable, which we will not read. We'll not take time to do that. So since I have been sitting here listening in the, uh, the previous messages, I think maybe it would be a good time for me to go back down to the basement and reconsider whether I have enough of material to build this tower that I'm about to, uh, to embark upon. <laughs> so, you know, we take admonition. These things are given for our what? For our learning and uh, in order that we might uh, have, be admonished from the Scriptures, we're told in the 15th chapter of the book of Romans so maybe I better reconsider but I think maybe I am like uh, a pastor Otis Wasson in his uh, in his introductory remarks said one time telling about uh, the uh, man that was going through the field and about midways the field he was attacked by a billy goat and he didn't have anything to fight him with so he just grabbed him by the horns and they were going around and around and around, you know, and the farmer uh, who lived a good, goodly ways off, he came running over and he says, say, he says, you want me to help you hold that goat? <laughs> no, sir, he said, but I surely would appreciate it if you'd let me turn him loose, help me turn him loose. <laughs> so that's the way we are, we preachers are. Sometimes we get a hold of these things we can't turn loose. 
But I think maybe I will appeal to your, to your kindness and generosity because I was not assigned this text at the beginning. I only had about a week or maybe 10 days to, uh, to, to uh, pinch hit for Richard Masick. And if I, if, if I kind of get off uh, and estranged and uh, you, you, you at least have a, a little consideration, that I'm not asking for mercy, but help me uh, anyhow to get off of the platform. <laughs> I've been assigned the uh, topic in the subject Paul's Companions to uh, the character of Apollos and to... Uh, look at this character, we would like to ask you to turn to chapter 18 of Acts. Acts 18, we'll read a few verses here. Beginning at verse 18, we'll read through verse 28, just these 11 verses. And Paul after this tarried yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren, and sailed thence into Syria, and with him was Pris uh, with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Centuria, or Centria, for he had a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not, but bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea he got at, and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over all of the country of uh, Galatia and Ferga in order, uh, strengthening all the disciples. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when, they, when he was come, uh, helped them much uh, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So we have the introduction of a man by the name of Apollos. Apollos is a, an elusive character in uh, uh, considering Paul's uh, companions. What I mean by that is he appears on the scene from nowhere. What he tells us he's from Alexandria. But, uh, and then we have a brief history. Then we have a few comments that's pertinent to the subject in the epistles of Paul, and the last time we find him mentioned is in Titus chapter 3. Uh, now, we don't have any background on the person other than that he was a Jew, and so we don't have any problem, as our, my uh, predecessor uh, had with identifying uh, Dr. Luke. Uh, the scriptures tell us that this man was a Jew. And, of course, he, uh, he comes from Alexandria. 
Well, as Barnabas then was uh, one who was associated with the circumcision apostles beginning uh, about the time of Pentecost or soon thereafter, we find uh, that uh, as he was connected with Paul and his relationship, and that's what we want to talk about, we're talking about companions, we're talking about relationships. So uh, Barnabas's relationship with Paul began out of the circumcision uh, environment of Jerusalem and uh, of course through circumstances and the great providence of God he eventually became Paul's great companion in travel and in the outset he was uh, the primary companion with Paul uh, after he was commissioned in Acts 13 and of course uh, uh, began his official uh, missionary uh, endeavor or apostolic journey. So therefore we see Paul ministering to the Gentiles before Acts 13, but we want to make the point now that now the door is officially open to the Gentiles, as he says in the concluding verses of chapter uh, 14 after the first uh, apostolic journey. So as Barnabas was connected with Paul, or we have the connection here, now we have uh, Paulus was a connector which circum, uh, circumvented the uh, a Pentecostal era beginning with John the Baptist, and we find him coming over the uh, circumcision apostles' ministry in the area of Pentecost and, of course, joining Paul here. So he, he's somewhat of a vague individual in this interim between John the Baptist's ministry and, uh, of course, Paul's. We want to keep that uh, gap in between because this is what we're going to work on, is the gap between John the Baptist and Apollos. And we're going to try to bring these two together. Who, what, which two? Paul and John the Baptist, because this is the character that connects the two. That's what we're going to try to do, and show the relationship of John the Baptist to the Apostle Paul. And we'll do that by analyzing uh, Apollos and his relationship to either and both. That is what we seek to do. I don't know how well we'll do it. Uh, we'll let you be the judge of that. Now, verses 24 to 26, we have the introduction, and we're told in verses 27, 28, something about his future ministry in uh, Achaia or on the continent of Europe. It's, it's uh, interesting that we have no further account of his ministry at Ephesus uh, on the continent of Asia or in Asia Minor, to, to say that, uh, to, be, to be exact. It is also amazing uh, that this, uh, at this late date, 20 years, maybe plus, after Calvary, uh, there were still sincere people, even Jewish believers of the caliber, caliber of Apollos, who had not been brought up to date concerning the gospel. Uh, and I, it includes the gospel of the circumcision. He had not been brought up to date. And so therefore, we find God now bringing this individual in his record. 
At verse 25, we're told this man was instructed. We're told that he was instructed in the way of the Lord. Now, when we say, or when, when Luke says here, the Holy Spirit record, or inspires Luke to record uh, that uh, this, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord, we believe the Lord here refers to the Lord Jesus, not the Lord Jehovah in the Old Testament, but rather he was introduced to Jesus of Nazareth. So therefore, our word instructed is an interesting word. The word instructed, we get our word to catechize or catechism from it, which means thoroughly instructed. It means, uh, in, in uh, most cases, not always, to have oral instruction and to be instructed aright. To catechize a person, you must impart to them the proper doctrine. And so our word instruct has that connotation of being instructed properly, not just having hearsay or some traditional views, but the word instructed means to be instructed correctly and rightly. We must see that. And being fervent in spirit, in his spirit, or in the Holy Spirit, who knows, a pneuma, but it's a holy, fervent in the Holy Spirit, I'm sure the Holy Spirit gave him a fervent spirit. And so it's hard to divide the spirit of man and the spirit of God when it comes to his servants that are, uh, uh, that are uh, motivated by the Holy Spirit. And uh, there's no question, uh, Mr. Schofield, of course, he shows uh, that he feels, or the editors at least, that it was the Holy Spirit. And he was fervent. That word fervent means he burned. He, he was zealous. He, he had to say and to tell forth the things that he understood. And so therefore he was fervent in spirit. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord Jesus. I add that because that's the sense. Knowing only the baptism of John. Now, I know something about the baptism of John. I've read about it in the uh, synoptic records and, of course, in the uh, Gospel of John. But this man was instructed in the baptism of John. The baptism of John is used as a figure of speech. Uh, other words, it's a rounded out figure to, to tell us that he was instructed in John's message and commission. He understood what John was trying to do. And he's, he understood what John's position was as the forerunner of our Lord. He was well instructed and catechized in that. So he, he wasn't just giving us some traditional view or, of hearsay of what John did. Now I'll say this, and I won't have to, I won't have to repeat it, uh, that whether or not Apollos was a contemporary with John, which he well could be, as a young man, uh, most scholars feel that Apollos was a young man, and by that, that he was very much the junior of Paul. That is, he was considerably younger. But I don't know where they get it. I can find no record that he was. And uh, he was from Alexandra, as we are told, and that tells us something about the availability are about the access of the correct record that would be available to him. So, so therefore, this Alexandrian Jew 
who was born, uh, uh, perhaps, uh, yes, he was born. Yes, he used the word born there. He was born, reared, educated in Alexandria, Egypt, the home of the much revered Septuagint of the Old Testament, whether it was written 250 years B.C. or 250 uh, A.D., uh, makes no difference. And there is a mixed opinion as to which was correct. Whether Origen read it to, uh, written it uh, 250 years after or before, it was uh, the place where it was written, and we know that uh, by this that Apollos was subjected to the Greek culture of the day. He was a Jewish boy who attended the Gentile schools, no doubt, as well as the synagogue. And he had a uh, knowledge of both the Greek culture, being a Hellenistic Jew, and also he had studied uh, Moses and Isaiah and etc. of the uh, of the apostles, no no doubt well grounded. But yet he had read Homer, he had read uh, Plato, Aristotle, and uh, all of these, Socrates. He, he uh, there's no doubt that this man had a broad education, even as there our apostle Paul had that Greek uh, culture, and he understood, he quotes from the poets of the Gentiles, the heathen, uh, or authors, or writers, and poets. So Apollos is of that sort of an individual. And there's no question uh, that where he worshipped with his, with his relatives, his father, and those were, that he came into, into association with the uh, at least a correct teaching of John the Baptist. He may have been a personal disciple. I would not deny that. And it's very probable that he was. Not only possible, but it's probable that he was. So therefore, he knew the gospel of the kingdom, and I don't think there's any question about that. We're told that he was thoroughly taught accurately he had accurate knowledge of John's commission and understood fully the elementaries of the kingdom gospel. Uh, were, they were understood uh, 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 by Apollos. Thank you. My Bible is uh, about to wreck things here. Okay. So therefore, we find Apollos then uh, had uh, accurate knowledge of John the Baptist and his ministry, uh, perhaps firsthand. I'm just supposing that it's possible. But in any, any case, he knew the message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. He understood that. Now, we're told at verse 26, And he began to speak boldly in the Jewish synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more accurately more thoroughly, more perfectly. That is, they brought him up to date. Up to date from where? From the beginning of John's ministry, which was elementary, and brought him up to the point where now he understands the message of Paul. I, I, I have to assume that because uh, we'll, we'll get into that a little later. But before we do, we would like to... Perhaps it would be better before we follow Paulus further, we, we feel it would be profitable. We'd go back to John's ministry, uh, the ministry of the Baptist, and uh, see 
uh, what the association could be, what, what he would have taught, and how he would have thought, and so on and so forth. Uh, we hope we can do this quickly without taking too much time. Uh, let us go back to Matthew 11, just for a moment, please. Matthew chapter 11. And I'd like to begin reading at verse, um, I believe it is verse 11, or verse 12, verse 12. Just two or three verses here, just these short verses. Verse 12. Our Lord Jesus is the speaker, as Matthew quotes him. And he says, For all of the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Now, our until gives us a demarcation. Now, just what that demarcation is, we'll have to learn from what has gone before and what comes after. But nevertheless, the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And he says at verse 14, And if ye will receive it, it what? The message of the prophets. And the prophets and the law. If you receive those instructions, if you understand those instructions, he says, this is Elijah, which was to come. And, of course, he goes back to Malachi and uh, has that thought. They understand that. He said that he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. He that hath hearing ears, let him hear. In other words, everybody will not hear. But the law and the prophet of John, so we find a demarcation beginning with John. And we find after that the kingdom of heaven is preached. From John, beginning with John, the Lord after him, uh, the twelve apostles, and up and through the day of Pentecost. This is the message. It doesn't change at Pentecost. There is no change at Pentecost other than a progressive change. There's no change in kind dispensationally at Pentecost. It's a matter of enlargement or uh, change by, de de uh, by degree, not by kind. So therefore, nothing starts or begins at Pentecost only in decree or degree, not in kind. The church, no, does not begin there. Somebody said, the group that we find on Pentecost came out of the ministry of John the Baptist and those that followed after him, including our Lord Jesus. So we have a group of people now coming. It's interesting, too, as I've studied the, and I don't want to take up too much time with this, but it's interesting to uh, study the chronological order of John's ministry uh, in its relationship to our Lord. Our Lord was in the wings for the first two or two and a half years of John's ministry. In the wings, by what I mean by that is that John had the prominent place until he was put in prison. We, we, have, to, we have to acknowledge that. That is, that is true. However, our Lord was ministering in Judea, in the Judean ministry, for some two years. Of course, going to Galilee time to time. But his ministry was centered in Judea, the land of the king. But when John is put in prison, then we find our Lord retreating, if you will. That word depart there could be well translated in John 4, a retreat or withdrawal to, uh, to Galilee. And then he begins to call out 12 apostles and commissions them with no more than one year left in his ministry. 
Although they had been followers of him, and that's what we want to see, they had been followers of him from the uh, public introduction of our Lord by John at his baptism and in the succeeding days. So therefore we find a relationship with the disciples, but yet not what we would call a formal relationship, but rather a disciple, very loose, not yet coagulated, as our brother uses the word, until we reach Galilee, which is ten months or one year before Calvary. Uh, that is, I won't charge anything extra for that, but it does give us a sense of what the time element is. So the reason I did that, in order that we might relate Apollos to John, which ministered up to until the last year of our Lord's life on earth before he was put to death, imprisoned perhaps eight to ten months, the best that I can find out on the best authority. Now, when he's put to death, John, uh, our Lord was still in, in uh, our, our Lord uh, was in Galilee when he's put in prison. So John was killed rather late, rather late by Agrippa, uh, Herod, uh, Antipas there in, uh, of course, Perea. Okay, of course, he was tetriarch of of Galilee and that area down there. Okay. What we're trying to say, we're trying to late. I suppose it would be reasonable then to assume that John was more widely known than our Lord Jesus. That he was more widely known among the Jews than our Lord, chiefly because he preceded our Lord in his ministry. He preceded our Lord with much more freedom than our Lord had. He didn't have the publicity. Our Lord didn't have the publicity because of the persecution that came to our Lord that generated out of John's uh, ministry and out of his direction of his disciples as he transferred them to the Lord Jesus. So the animosity that caused him to lose his head was transferred to our Lord immediately. Therefore, we find in John 4 he has to leave the country. So he wasn't known as broadly. Maybe this will explain in part why Paulus hadn't understood about our Lord's ministry. It was rather short. It was not broadly and universally in jury uh, publicized as John's was. John worked under liberty and those that came took his message back to the provinces and especially we'd expect it to go to Alexandria. And so therefore, uh, this was one of the subjects that were taught, uh, one of the subjects that was taught in the Jewish synagogue was the ministry of John. Even though perhaps they didn't understand all about it, but they understood and they taught what he believed, what he preached, whether they believed it or not. And Apollos was subjected to that. We ha we ha I think we have to see that. Okay? Uh, so it is uh, not far-fetched then to assume that among the tens of thousands of Jews at Alexandria, Egypt, there would be many who would know about John's great fame and also be thoroughly instructed concerning his message as Paulus was. Whether he knew him or not, he was instructed thoroughly and accurately. And he believed it. There's no question about that. He was a disciple of John. Uh, I'll say at this point, he was saved under the, uh, under the ministry of John. We find in Acts, we don't find that this man was converted. This man, this man only preached uh, a, a, a message that was archaic and obsolete. But he had believed as 
John writes in uh, John 1, 12. He said, He came unto his own, his own received him not. But as many as received him to them gave he the authority uh, to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. Paulus was one of those, whether he was in the land or out. He became, and he had the authority to become the children of God. And I think we have a futuristic tense on that to become. He, he, he wasn't actually at that time a child of God in the, in the most strict sense. But nevertheless, he now believed God. He believed the, the message of Messiah. So therefore, he became uh, at that time or at a future time. And I have to, that's kind of a tendency to put a futuristic uh, uh, connotation upon those who, who uh, believed him. To them gave he authority to become the children of God in a most strict sense. We'll get, to, maybe if time uh, permits, we'll get to that. I'll clarify that a little bit, or probably if I don't, I'll have to do it in the question time anyhow. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get around. We'll get back to that, I'll assure you. Okay. When our Lord's popularity began to grow through the transfer of John's disciples as well as his own converts, John fell then at that time into... R- he fell rapidly into disfavor with the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin namely, and the Pharisees, and soon was committed to prison. Uh, that is, after the Lord Jesus' popularity began to grow. He began to transfer his disciples. As a result, it uh, soon became necessary for our Lord to retreat to Galilee and to go on the defensive. And he had a defensive ministry in Galilee whether anybody likes it or not. He did send his disciples out, but he was always on the run. This was largely as a result of John's ministry and the disciples that he had transferred them. Let's let's go to John chapter 1 now, and we'll look at a few things there concerning our Lord and his relationship to John. Verse 35, I'd like to begin reading. read a few verses here. 1.35 of John's Gospel. Gospel according to John. Again the next day, which was the third day after the interrogation of John by these, by the, uh, uh, the uh, contingency that was sent out by the Pharisees, uh, the leaders, the Jewish leaders. They were priests and Levites. So we find the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looked upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? And he saith unto him, Come and see. Uh, they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He findeth his own brother, uh, 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 Simon, and saith unto him, We have found Messiah which is being interpreted, the Christ. I, I just want to stop there just for a minute to, to make a, a statement that's not related to our thought now, but it's, it's very important. And it, uh, since we've, we've had that already to come up, I want to, uh, I want to make this statement here. Why would you suppose that John would tell us that Messiah is being interpreted the Christ? Who was he writing to? Was he writing to Jews or was he writing to the world at large? Writing to the Jews, he need not explain. As he does so often throughout his gospel, he explains those Hebrew or Aramaic terms to his Greek audience. Why? 
I'll let you answer that. All right, we'll go ahead. Verse 42. Uh, we're told that uh, that Andrew brought uh, our Lord Jesus, uh, brought Peter to the Lord Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, "Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, our uh, uh, rock, stone." Uh, which is being interpreted as stone. Now, why would he do that? Because Cephas, which is Aramaic. The Greek world wouldn't understand that. So he explains it. John interprets for his audience throughout the Gospel of John. Here's just a sample. He interprets throughout the Gospel of John. That by interpretation, this is that. Why would he do that? Because he wasn't a writing to a Hebrew audience, by and large. That's the reason. Okay. Okay, now we'll stop there because we have three disciples. We know who two of them are. Andrew, Peter. You know who the other one was. This anonymous person. No doubt it was John himself that had gone with the Lord Jesus. They don't mind with him. Well, we see that as they stood, John pointed out to the Lord Jesus and said, Behold, behold, uh, the, uh, behold the Lamb of God. And they followed him. Now, they didn't align himself with him officially yet, but we find after he went to Galilee, he commissioned at least these two individuals, including Philip and uh, Andrew, which we're not dealing with because they were down in Galilee, and he, he called them down there. But I'm talking about calling John's disciples. So uh, not, these two are uh, examples of many, many others that John had transferred to our Lord Jesus. All right. Uh, in chapter 3 chapter 3 of John verse 22 after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea or rather into the Judean land side implying that he has left the metropolis he has left the area where the leaders were functioning now, not into the Judean land would imply that he was out of the land and he came into the land. Now, that's not the case. He came into the Judean countryside. He's left Jerusalem, implying a problem. All right? And John also was baptizing in Aon near to Salem because there was much water there and uh, they came and were baptized. John, for John, was not yet cast into prison. That's a interesting insertion implying that things change when John's put in prison then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews some say Jew but I take it as the received text as Jews about baptisms or purifyings and they came unto John and said unto him Rabbi he that was with thee beyond Jordan to whom thou bearest record or witness rather behold the same baptizeth and all men come to him John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I am sent before him as his forerunner. Uh, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. That's interesting. But the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoice greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. I must increase, but he must uh, uh, he must I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. Uh, read it again. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. Who is the bride? We know who the bridegroom is, but the bride is somewhat 
hard to identify for most of us. <laughs> but John says he's not the bride or part of it, and that's, that's good enough for me. So we find again, we find again a man here that is a pivotal point. He's a place. So he says, I'm not that. And that's the way I understand it. Maybe I can bear a little more uh, enlightenment on that. But he says, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This fits my case. My joy is fulfilled as a friend, a bystander, a watching a wedding. Now that's the sense. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize his disciples, but his, uh, or did not baptize, but his disciples did. That's the sense. He left Judea and departed into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. We won't read any further. He departed when there was the information had reached him that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had baptized more disciples than John. It was time for him to go. You can assume why that was. The contentious spirit now has come to the place where our Lord must go on the defensive. He goes on the defensive. Although he ministers in Galilee, and he goes to Jerusalem from time to time. When I say on the defensive, I mean he has to be careful now where he ministries and at what time. And you'll notice in Galilee it was a very guarded ministry that he had. Why? Because jury had already rejected him. He, they rejected John to reject John meant to reject him. With rejecting John, they rejected the one John represented. They didn't necessarily have to personally reject the Lord Jesus. When they rejected John, they rejected him. And that's, uh, we must always keep that in mind. He was willing to go the moment John was, because John was the forerunner. He was the one that was to come baptizing, making what? The Messiah, Christ, manifest to Israel, according to John 1.33. And when that was not accepted, that's why he says in Matthew uh, 11, uh, uh, 14, if, or 15, or 14, he says, if you will hear it, this is Elijah, which was to come. In other words, John was uh, the representative of the Elijah that was to come. This is he. Okay. Well, as dispensationalists, then, we, uh, we have some problems. Let's go to Matthew 14 just briefly. I don't want to. Uh, it's Matthew 14, and I must go here, and then we're going back to Acts very quickly and conclude. And, all right. In chapter 14, Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee, Herod Antipas, 14.1. Uh, At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus. And said unto his, uh, unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. For Herod hath laid hold, had laid hold on John and bound him, and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John had said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. And when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude, because they counted him as a prophet. And you'll know, you know the rest of the story, how Herod was sort of 
well, he was deceived by his stepdaughter, and uh, as a result, he had to keep his pledge, and he uh, cut off John's head there in Mercurius, uh, in that f fortress, that mountain fortress south uh, or east of the Dead Sea, which was uh, one of the jurisdictions of Herod Antipas, where John was imprisoned, near where he was baptized, near Bethabara, beyond Jordan. Okay. But I want you to see at verse 12, John is beheaded now, his disciples came and took up the body of John the Baptist and buried it and went and told Jesus. Now here we find these disciples were very, very close aligned to the Lord Jesus. And when Jesus heard it, that is, heard that John had had his head cut off now, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart, and when the people ha had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities, and John went forth and saw a great, great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. And, of course, they came to him, not him going to them. Well, my point is that John's disciples knew where to go. And as it was said by the previous speaker, that John's disciples were those that formed the nucleus on the day of Pentecost. And that's the connection we want to make. And these were disciples that John had transferred. Behold the Lamb of God. Why did he say that? Why? In order to instruct his disciples. You don't follow me. You follow him. And so it was. We must assume that. Well, said a lot and haven't said too much either, have we? Okay. What we, our question is, his history certainly circumvents the ministry of our Lord, ministry in Galilee, and his apostles before and after Pentecost. Just where does he belong in the position of a disciple? Now we're talking about Apollos now. Where does Apollos fit in? He was in John's program. He must have been one alike kind, whether directly or indirectly, with those that had been transferred to the Lord Jesus. But yet we find that they went into the Pentecostal era and they became those, what we call, Pentecostal saints. What about Paulus? He had been saved under the same ministry that they had. Does he not hold the same position that they do? Most people would say yes. But now, when we get into the Acts of the Apostles, we have a problem with that. I believe that Apollos in this case, as Barnabas was in the case that Brother Burgess book, connects the Barnabas connects the Pentecostal believers with Paul. So John the Baptist is connected to Paul by Apollos. Could anybody dispute that? Isn't that right? I, I think we've shown uh, maybe overstated the case. Uh, uh, knowing that th this is a, a very uh, something uh, that's not too well accepted, but we see that this is the case. Where does this place him in his relationship to the Lord Jesus? Is he a kingdom saint, as we've been asked the question concerning Barnabas, concerning Silas, uh, concerning uh, uh, who was the other one? I can't, I can't even think of the other one now. Uh, our brother, where Luke? Luke, yes, Luke is one. I'm, I've got a policy in my mind. I can't get the others right now. Okay. Where is his relationship? Well, 
Was he a so-called kingdom saint? As he's called that by many. Or was he a member of the church, the body of Christ? He has to be one or the other. He can't be both. Or could he? Well, I think I, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good, that's not a, that's not a question that's, that's a, irrational at all. It's not a question that's irrational. We've heard also in previous messages, chiefly the first one, <laughs> that there, there is a relationship of the church to the kingdom and the kingdom saints. There is at least a knuckle of connection. And I think we have done a disservice to Christendom at large as a grace movement and to the grace movement beyond that by trying to emphasize with an overemphasis of the disrelationship between the church and the saved in Israel's kingdom. I think, we've made a, I think we made a sad mistake by overemphasizing that. We never hear the relationship, but rather the disrelationship. And I believe Apollos is, a certainly, is certainly a character that connects the two together. So, therefore, in chapter 18, we'd like to go there, but I'll make this statement before I do, and then you can, uh, we'll go from there. I personally believe, uh, I uh, am not... Uh, I, I'm not above uh, being corrected. I've been corrected many times. And I want to tell you, I don't take it well. <laughs> it doesn't set well with me. When I go to this length to build a thing and you try yeah, I'll, I'll answer that now. No. Are you going to start the church at Pentecost then? No. Are you going to, where are you going to start it then? Acts 9, Acts 13, Acts 28, or are you going to put it all together and begin a Genesis? That's, that's the question. That's the kind of questions you guys are going to ask me. I know. I've been there before. But I'll state it now, and then I'll explain it later. I believe every follower of the Lord Jesus that accepted him in his rejection. Now, that's a contradiction, isn't it? Every man accepted in his, in, in his rejection. What I mean by that, every man that accepted the Lord Jesus, when the nation rejected him, and our Lord withdrew, I believe they became a very special people, which we call the Hebrew church in early Acts. But I believe with Israel's default, and with the setting aside of Israel, whether you have that, you, you can ask me later where I have it, uh, whether you have it in Acts 9, 13, 28, or wherever you have it. At that time, this group of people constituted the nucleus that our Lord <coughs> began the church. Whether at with Paul, whether at Acts 7, Acts 9, or wherever, they became a special people. They, oh yes, you say, well, they had a kingdom hope. Well, they did have and still have. But that hope was elevated. And I believe personally that the church will reign with Christ in the millennial reign. I don't, you, you know I believe that, so I might as well say it. I believe, that the, the, I, I believe that the church will reign with him, not off in heaven somewhere, in some place out yonder we can't even grasp, in the heavenlies, and I'd like to have an hour to talk on that. And then uh, you could tear that apart too. But 
when heaven is on earth, that will be the heavenlies. <laughs> that will be of a heavenly character. John said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I think we, under, uh, I think we underscore that. What was meant by it? Well, in any case, we get to Apollos. Let's look at him just for the next five or ten minutes now. Uh, so now my introduction has been about 30 minutes, and now the next, uh, next uh, five or ten minutes we'll have, the, uh, we'll have the subject. Okay, back to Apollos. We read 24 through 26. Now we'll read verse 27 and 28. And when he was disposed. Now, he's at Ephesus. He's associated with Aquila and Priscilla. He's instructed further in the gospel message, whatever that might be. But since Aquila and Priscilla were companions of Paul also, we believe that he was brought up to date, not with the circumcision gospel, which he was certainly deficient in, knowing only the baptism of John. He didn't know the baptism of Peter in Acts 2.38. He didn't know that. Baptism of John. So now we find he brought up to date, up to date, to, to the date here somewhere in the, the mid-50s, A.D. Okay. And when he was disposed to, to pass into Greece or Achaia. Now, why doesn't, it tell, why doesn't he tell us what he was doing in Ephesus? You see, when he was brought up to date, he had already... He'd quite spoiled it, and it would be pretty hard for him to go back into that synagogue and say, now here, I, I've been wrong about this. Uh, I'm going to bring you up to date. No, he didn't. He left town. He left town, uh, as far as the record's concerned. He didn't, bring, he didn't bring his audience up to date in the synagogue. Who do you suppose that was left for? Well, you reach chapter 19, and you'll find out who brought them up to date. You see? But he went into his native land as far as his citizenship is concerned, because he was a Hellenistic Jew or a Grecian Jew. So he went to Greece. He was fluent in the language. He understood their culture. And now, he doesn't say he went to Corinth, although we find that he is at Corinth, time of recent night. But when he went into Caia, and the brethren, that is the believers at Ephesus, wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much, which believed through grace. Now that has been... Uh, problem. I, I, can't, I can't cure all the problems here, so I'll, I'll just pass on it. I mean, I'll, I'll just make a pass at it. Now, help through grace. Is it that he, through the grace of God, helped them? Or did he help them through the grace message? Well, he, he didn't help them in either because he only helped those who had believed through grace. Now, to believe through grace means the Pauline truth because Paul evangelized Achaia. And he had believed what? Through the prophets and through that message back there. But yet, he helped those grace believers who had believed through grace. Not he helped them by grace, but he helped them who had believed through grace, who hadn't had the background that he had had under John's gospel and, of course, the heritage of that, of that Jewish language. That's what is in view here in my, in my estimation. Well, for he mindedly, how did he help them? By teaching them the grace of God? No! No, he helped them through mightily convincing the Jews. He helped them in their evangelistic work. And he publicly, and that publicly showing from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. In other words, uh, what he was doing was building a foundation upon which the Pauline gospel would establish them. But first of all, as it was said in the previous message, that first we must be convinced that he is the Jewish Messiah. If that is negated, if that is refused, forget it. 
You see, that's the basic, that Jesus is Messiah. Now, of course, he's not our Messiah as members of the body, but he was the Messiah. He was born to the seed of David. Yes, truly so. But we see that is the foundation of the gospel even that Paul preached. Paul, he writes a Romans letter. He says, now, what does, what does he say? Why, he says uh, in verse 4, declared to be the Son of God, or in verse 3, concerning the Son, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was made of the seed of David. Why does he say that? Because that's basic. That's fundamental. And, of course, he said, declared to be the Son of God with power from the resurrection of such as were dead. Okay. Now, just, uh, uh, we'll, we'll move on now because uh, our time is getting... I'd like to go to Acts 1 now, and then we'll, we'll stop. And, and we have certainly shortchanged ourselves because we just can't possibly get all of the information that we have. I've kind of gone through it, and it's disconnected. I know there's much, there's much needs to be said... Uh, and you say well, amen to that, but uh, concerning concerning my own concerning my own presupposition or my thinking that's based upon this presupposition, needs must be said about it and for it. So we'll go to uh, we'll go to Acts one, and there we find again uh, that uh, John. It begins with John. The kingdom begins with John. That is the kingdom gospel, and the disciples. We find that. Uh, in verse uh, chapter 1 and uh, verse uh, 20, we see, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let, that's 1.20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, let no man dwell therein, let his bishopric let another take. Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied us all the time that the Lord went in and out among us, beginning with John the Baptist, and we find that Matthias was uh, as we saw yesterday, that Matthias would vote, and we have a kingdom, we have a kingdom 12, we have a representative of the nation. But by the time we reach Acts 12, before we uh, reach Acts 13, we find James beheaded, indicating that, that uh, it is already, the change has already taken place. And now it's proved that officially now, with James eliminated, the 12 is negated, and Paul now is going to be emphasized in a official way. That's the point. Now, I would like to also, though, uh, look in, in Corinthian letter just briefly. I keep saying briefly, and yet, uh, 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 chapter one, chapter one of Philippians, or of uh, First Corinthians, verse eleven, one eleven. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among us. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am a Paul, I am a Paulus, I have seen this night of Christ. Paulus here was a champion of the Corinthians. Why? Well, because he was a Grecian Jew. He was eloquent. He was uh, well instructed and all of this. And, of course, uh, they uh, liked uh, his, great, uh, his great ability of oration and he could speak eloquently and he, uh, as today, my, he was a great speaker, wasn't he? Wasn't he a wonderful speaker? My, I like to hear that man speak. Then ask them what his message was. They say, well, I really don't know what his topic was, but he really did attract me. I really loved his message. This was the sort of a guy that Apollos was, and the Corinthians latched on to his popularity and his fineries, as is so often done. Well, the last time we find him, and I'll stop there, and that's in Titus. In Titus chapter 
chapter 3, and I'll begin the reading at verse 12, and we'll... Paul now is... Uh, Paul is uh, uh, at Nicopolis, which is the extreme part near Dalmatia, or Del- Dalmatia, and he says, When I shall send Artemis unto thee, Articius, Titus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. Bring Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on your journey. Now, what would Apollos be connected with a lawyer? What lawyer? What do you suppose? I wish I had time to elaborate that a little bit. A lawyer. Where do you... Oh, I, uh, uh, you said that. So you know, you'll have to answer the question if, if, if you get... But I agree. Yes. Well, it's uh, Paul's attorney. And uh, who didn't stand with him in Second Timothy a little later on? Now, no man stood with me is not that Luke had left him. Uh, I, I, I don't mean to disagree with you, brother, but I, I, I have a different concept of that. The word stood with me is an official thing. It's, it's, a, legal, it's a legal term. I had no representative, and the Roman courts pro- would uh, allow a representative, but he had to measure up to a standard. There, there was none there. None there. And Luke couldn't stand with him. He wasn't a legal man. So when no man stood with me at my first defense, oh no, no, not that he had been deserted by his friends. Well, Demas had for seven, he tells us that. But not Luke, he hadn't. But he wasn't able. The Roman courts would not let him be the great advocate. And so he stood without a defense attorney. But he had one. But what happened to him? Evidently, Maybe he got called in some other court. I don't know. Zenus the lawyer and Apollos. Apollos must have been important to him in the gospel and, and uh, in, in many other ways. We can read much into this and as often, and we don't recommend it to read too much into it. Well, our time is up and, and passed. <laughs>